Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
the column is called Clouds Got in My Way. I looked out the window and saw clouds filling the sky. They were dark, ominous, and beautiful all at the same time. They blocked out the sun on one of Arizona's typically bright and sunny days. The Dakota Indians use the word ma-pia to describe the energy of clouds. Ma-pia also refers to the human experience of being caught in the grips of compulsion and addiction. Addictions and compulsions are considered rites of passage, tests for learning how to choose wholeness over disintegration. At some point, we all struggle with some elements of addiction. Uh, some people battle with the big stuff, such as hardcore drug abuse, extreme alcoholism, opioid addictions, sexual addictions, or even elements of greed that may pull them into potential criminal activity. Uh, people caught up in extreme levels of addiction often have the chief negative feature, one of seven human fears, that is based on a fear of losing control uh, and pushing oneself to be self-destructive. Most of us will never experience uh, these type of extremes, but are drawn into more subtle forms of addiction that block and mask our personal power. In September of 2001, I began to see that I was out of control with my personal addictions. The tragedies of 9-11 coincided with my separation from someone I was deeply in love with. There seemed to be no explanation for my emotional loss, as well as the chaos and loss of our country's sense of security. I could not get answers from the man who I felt abandoned me or from my higher self, blocked from clarity and understanding. Emotionally, my heart was broken, and I was having difficulties putting the pieces together. I found myself drinking three times the amount of coffee I usually drank. I was constantly craving sweets and found myself gaining weight because I was eating more than I normally did. I was smoking tobacco and even marijuana far more often than usual. Things that I had done occasionally had become daily survival rituals, and I was tilting out of balance. We crave certain substances and use them to excess when we are spiritually, mentally, and emotionally out of balance. Most commonly used addictive substances are tobacco, which masks unresolved anger and feeling powerless. Uh, it is common for smoking to begin during adolescence when these feelings are typically part of the teen years. Sugar, which masks the feeling of not being lovable. Chocolate, similar to sugar, but also masks feeling comfortable with intimacy and triggers similar feelings as sexual contact does. Alcohol, masks fear. Witness a drunk expressing delusional bravery and sometimes acting belligerent and telling everyone around him or her what they really think. Marijuana, mass sadness. Caffeine, mass everything. According to Lakota, Mapia is a supernatural spirit who travels the earth searching for wholeness and blocks the sun in the form of clouds that bring rain, sleet, and hail. Our compulsions and addictions cast dark shadows over our lives. They block our true personal power. In a similar way, like many pharmaceutical medicines, they don't actually cure problems. They simply act as a temporary mask of the symptoms and block the issue from rising to the surface to be resolved. When we look directly at our compulsions and addictions, we see what they're masking. We can dispel the clouds that block our true power and claim wholeness. I was able to break my addiction cycle when I looked at what the addictions were really all about and why I was actually doing them. 
Listen, I still drink coffee, although mostly decaffeinated. My Italian heritage and the fact that it tastes so damn good make it tough to let go. Once in a while, I have sweets, but usually in small amounts. I smoke cigars for the most part, only when I gamble once a week or during my Vegas trips a few times a year. I occasionally even smoke a little weed. It was never about eliminating the good things in life. When I looked at things that I was having trouble with, I was able to let the compulsive elements go. Now I allow myself to feel sadness. Poignantly sad, touching music and movies fill this place nicely. I work out at a gym and sometimes punch a punching bag while, while I'm there to burn off excessive energy when I feel I have no control or I'm angry. I know that I'm lovable, whether I'm alone or with others. The sugar compulsion and cravings were part of a pattern developed during my childhood and partly stemmed from a mother who had difficulty showing or difficulty showing or telling us that we were loved. I no longer struggle with this. I enjoy sugar in moderation. I enjoy the occasional cloudy days that block the Arizona sun. I know that while the sun may be hidden behind the clouds in the outside world and inside myself, it still shines brightly. The clouds always move away, revealing beautiful blue skies. Okay, so that was uh, the original... Uh, let me get to my place here. Where am I? Okay. Uh, okay. I'm back to my my chat room. Okay. So uh, that was, again, a column from, from many, many years ago. You know, I remember when I first learned uh, the meaning of, of those really base addictions, those really common things that a lot of us, you know, ultimately take for granted. I mean, it was like a series of, of you know, lightning bolts, so to speak, of, of awareness. Because, you know, it, it makes total sense. Uh you know, uh, we listen. We're, we're human beings. We're, we're going to crave things that make us feel better uh, at one level or another. Again, I know in, in my family growing up, part of my mom's toughness of showing love and affection and things like that. And my, and I said, my mother is a German woman, and she's Aries, and she's what I call a baby soul. I mean, her showing extreme affection was never going to happen. Never going to happen. Uh, so, she was a good mother in a lot of ways too. But she just didn't have the ability to do that. She can show affection to her dogs, but not so much to her kids. She was uncomfortable with that. Um, you know, and, and so I think the substitute was that she gave us candy bars or sugar. We always had pudding or something, you know, sweet for a dessert. And I, we became a pattern of crave, as does for a lot of children. Um, you know, I, I never really struggled personally with alcohol addiction. Um, I... You know, when I was, you know, 19 or 20, you know, I, I would drink when I partied and things like that. I worked as a waiter for many years. I worked in, in a French restaurant for years. But I kind of said I never really overdid alcohol much. I think it just never vibed with my body. Um, I still like an occasional drink, but it's really occasional. I mean, I'm really, you know, I'll go to Vegas and I'll have like two cocktails in, in three days and three nights total. This is how pathetic I am when it comes to taking advantage of the free alcohol. But, you know, on the other level, I don't have that uh, fear thing. It's not really, you know, I've had fear during my life, but I don't, I notice this a lot with alcoholics. You know, I went on a date with someone who I could tell was very nervous years ago and who polished down eight cocktails in the span of an hour. You know, that was the first and last date, I might add, by the way. But, you know, listen, I, I, for me personally, not really a very, very fearful person. It does surface. It's not my cup of tea in that sense to look at alcohol to mask fear. Uh, 
But um, some of the other things, you know, when I was in, in my you know early 20s in college and things like that, I was much more stoner, you know, than anything else. And uh, uh, that seemed to resonate better with the body. But again, looking back on it, yeah, there was uh, certain things about sadness uh, that I was dealing with internally and, and just looking at some of the crapola in the world and, you know, just, you know, so... Um, some of these things I, I reached for, and and at, you know at that time in my life, as I mentioned, went through a really really painful breakup. I mean, probably one of the most difficult I had ever experienced in a lot of ways. Um, and it and it did happen to correlate with around the time of 9/11. I'm sure you know uh, for, for for many many people. Listen, that was an incredibly traumatic time. If you're really young and you're hearing this, and you were a little kid during that, you may not really have. Um, it may have impacted you the way it did, you know, a lot of people in, in my age bracket in the 40s or 50s or 60s or, you know, even, you know, possibly 30s and, and older. Um, you know, I'm originally from New York. I was not in New York when 9-11 happened. Uh, I was in Las Vegas. And it was a nightmare leaving, getting out of Las Vegas for that matter. And then, uh, you know, a relationship that I had within, you know, weeks, week and a half, two weeks of that had broken up. And I was just devastated. You know, I thought I had found my proverbial soulmate. So, yeah, I really began to tilt out of balance in late September and, and October, and that's when it did. It caught me. I was really doing a lot of these things that I, I did, um, but it was getting excessive, and, and it was affecting my body. You know, it's interesting because one of the things I mentioned in here, of course, too, is that with tobacco mass anger and powerlessness, and, and I am a cigar smoker. Um, I have never, by the way, smoked cigarettes. I mean, I think I smoked one cigarette when I was about 13, and I was like, yuck. You know, I don't like it. It's expensive. I'd rather have a video game, you know, save up for an Atari video game. <laughs> I don't want to spend the money on cigarettes. I just never liked it. But when I was exposed to cigars, uh, when I was about maybe 30, and I worked in a French restaurant, I think I liked the cigars potentially more than I even liked the wine. I liked the wine, but cigars were just delicious. And, you know, again, so I never smoke cigarettes, but when I gamble, I smoke cigars. And, again, of course, that makes total sense. It masks powerlessness and anger. Listen, when you're gambling, and I love gambling, and I'm a mathematician, so I'm better at it than, than a lot of people are. I, I know how to play the games a little smarter. I still lose in the long run, but I lose less than a lot of other people do. Uh, I have a book I wrote years ago, too, called The Wise Guy's Guide to Gambling, and you can contact me uh, as well if you'd like a copy of that. I have an online version. It's actually only seven bucks to teach you some of the techniques I know. Um, but, you know, I enjoy you know playing video poker or blackjack, uh, occasionally some silly slots, and I enjoy, you know, sitting and smoking a cigar in a casino. I get to smoke inside, which is amazing. There's very few places in the world where you can do that. Uh, so it's very, you know, luxurious to me to be able to do that. When I've been Vegas, I tend to kind of OD a little and smoke a number of cigars. But, you know, the funny thing is, is I don't, I'll go a week, two weeks if I don't go to a casino and never smoke a cigar. It's kind of, for me, it's more of a casino thing. Occasionally, if I'm at a party or something, I'm sitting outside talking, I might want to do it. But overall, I'm not really that heavy-handed with it except when I gamble. And here's the thing. When you're gambling and, you know, you haven't gotten in a bonus round in, uh, you know, in, in, in an hour, or you have, or the black the dealer gets three blackjacks in a row, or you keep missing, you know, you have to play video poker and you haven't gotten a four of a kind in two freaking hours, you know, of playing, 
you feel angry and powerless and, you know, tobacco, it's a rescue. <laughs> of course, it, it makes total sense. I know what I'm doing when I do it. And and I laugh because sometimes people will say, oh, you're such a healthy and shaped guy. Why would you be polluting your body that way? And listen, because on the other end, you know, if you walk through this world and you don't enjoy things, you know, you're dope too. And there's a line, you know, to between addiction and, and enjoying the good things in life. Listen, a really good, well-made dessert made with sugar is delicious. You know, two uh, two women can bond over a you know a shared pint of Haagen Dazs and and really talk at, you know and it wasn't the Haagen Dazs that did it but that was part of the dance at one level or another so yeah have a smoke a joint once in a while have a glass of wine once in a while you know, I mean none of this is problematic when it doesn't tilt the issue is when it tilts into you know crazy where it becomes necessary for ultimately for survival you know. One of the things I didn't mention in that piece, because it was written many, many years ago, obviously, is that, you know, one of the really more common addictions now that is prevalent, of course, is opioid addiction in this country. And, you know, my theory on, on where that stems from, opioid addiction, is, you know, I think these different opioids that people use really just simply mask pain. I think a lot of people are in very, the very real pain, and and they crave, uh, you know, opioids uh, because of of this of this pain that they're they're ultimately going through. So, you know, yeah, there's going to be, uh, you know, uh, people addicted to opioids because again, there are a lot of people in pain. Uh, from financial issues and emotional issues and all kinds of stuff going on. This is something that has increased a lot over the last few decades. Uh, Many people start off with pharmaceutical antidepressants and things of that nature and Xanax and things like that. And and sometimes uh, those addictions, you know, quite realistically grow into, you know, astronomical you know, proportions uh, in that respect. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's tough in, in that respect that, that the world is going through this. But it isn't really a new thing. I just think that it's it's bigger than ever, uh, for, for lack of a better way of putting it at this point. Um, so, you know, another thing to consider. You know, one of the most common, you know, things that I see so many people addicted to, uh, aside from sugar, is caffeine, which is in soda and in coffee and in a million other things, for that matter. And and it is interesting to note that, that caffeine kind of really masks everything. It masks powerlessness and anger and feeling unloved and really a bit of everything. So this is so ingrained in, in the culture at, at one level or another uh, that, that people are craving uh, these... these uh, this, these caffeine products at one level or another. Now, it's always very funny because I'll use this as an example. You know, when I really, and this, again, this is back in like late 2001, early 2002, and I became aware that I was having too much coffee and caffeine. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I did, part of my resolution was I started cutting my coffee intake a lot. Uh, I still have coffee almost every day, by the way. I'll make a pot of coffee, and it's just two, maybe two cups, two and a half cups, three. Um, I'm always sad when it's done, by the way, because I just sort of want more. 
<laughs> but I just there's a point where it's you know, not necessarily good for the body. You know what I mean? You have to counterbalance more water. But I, years ago, I started cutting my caffeine at least in half by making it half decaf. Now it's probably like two to three. It's two-thirds decaf, one-third regular. And I love my coffee just as much as I always have. Uh, it's funny because you know, when I go, we have family reunions from time to time. I have a number of siblings, and uh, we stay at beach houses or things like that when we when we do our reunions. And it's so it's funny because you know we probably drink a lot of coffee. I just drink a lot of tea also, and um, I laugh because I, I sneak the decaf in and I mix it with their regular coffee. <laughs> Most of the time they can't tell, but they just drink straight coffee. But a lot of my siblings. You know, with all that caffeine, and I I can't handle that. I can't handle three cups of regular coffee. It's too much for me. It just makes me too wired. Uh, I don't like it. Uh, so I'm used to the decaf cutting some of it. But I like a little caffeine. You know, so again, moderation at one level or another. Now, uh, let's get into a little bit more of a discussion here about this subject because, you know, when it comes to extreme addiction, uh, wherever those things may necessarily be. Um, there is, there are seven human fears, and I've discussed this on other shows. Most of you, if you're following my columns, also will have caught this. Uh, when I work with regular clients on a regular basis, we eventually address uh, the reality that they, people have usually two primary fears out of the seven human fears that people have, and the fears are uh, uh, self uh, dep- uh, self-deprecation, arrogance martyrdom, impatience, stubbornness, greed, and self-destruction. Those are the seven human fears that can exist. Now, uh, they uh, everyone generally has to. Uh, we all have different margins for how much of it we, we tip into at different points in our lives. But generally, usually you find people have a primary chief negative feature of fear and a secondary and a backup. And then some that they might teeter into a little bit here and there. And then some that you'll never do at all or just not your thing. And so one of those that a good you know, percentage, 15, 20% of the population will struggle with is self-destruction. Now, I've said this many, many times. You know, listen, if, you're, if you party a bit when you're a teenager into your 20s and, you know, you do some drugs and you drink too much and you do things like that, listen, unless you have some type of dynamic of, the, of a chief negative feature of self-destruction, what you are more likely to do anyway is you'll do that for a while, then you'll outgrow it, you'll get bored of it, you know, you just can't get to work in the morning or it affects other things and you eventually drop it. You know, it's not, um, it's not uh, brain surgery in that respect. I mean, most of us, I mean, some people are real pure purists. I've run across people that have never even smoked a joint in their life or had a drink or anything like that, which is always mind-boggling. <laughs> to me, and that's, I think that normal experimentation is there. But at, but at other levels, I, you know, I, I say that too. There's a number of things that I never did. Uh, and even during my kind of wilder days, I, I never did acid or, or things like that. I never really was into anything that would make me lose control uh, completely. So I was a little chicken that way. But there was a number of things I did. I'm not going to get canonized for sainthood in my younger days. Uh, so... Um, Welcome to all my guests, by the way, in the guest room. Uh, thank you for joining me today live, or if you're catching the show later on an archive, we have a little bit more time to go. Uh, but welcome. Um, 
so uh, again, in a nutshell, yeah, no saint. I, I did a few things here and there along the way, but unless you have that chief negative feature or, or, or primary or secondary fear of self-destruction, you're likely to kind of work through those things and and and, and you know experiment with them and then get bored and, and eventually go out of it and move on. Now, the fear of self-destruction is based on uh, severe abandonment. So people who acquire it have often gone through uh, really radically, uh, sometimes quite radical, severe uh, abandonment issues during childhood. Uh, you know, being molested by a, a family member, uh, being, uh, you know, thrown away and given to other relatives, uh, you know, having a crazy alcoholic father who's abusive or, you know, again, listen, if you go to prison and things like that and talk to a lot of prisoners and people that, are in custody of, for, or in jail for things. A lot of them have legitimately horrible, horrifying stories that they, they went through. You know, so many of them, well, not all, will have some element of self-destruction to the personality. Now, the way self-destruction works is, again, it's decided upon when you're a child. You begin to believe that you have no control of life. So the reaching for substances and things of that nature that end up possibly destroying you become something you feel, weirdly enough, that you have control of, which, of course, you lose control of inevitably anyway. So all the fears have a positive pole and a negative pole. You know, the positive pole, the good thing of self-destruction is sacrifice. People who have it are typically more able, more comfortable being uh, sacrificing for others. Uh, they have a heightened awareness of that. You know, the negative, of course, is suicide, meaning either slowly or quickly destroy yourself. So, you know, it's legitimate real fear, and it does often lead to addiction issues in, in different degrees. Uh, in some ways, it connects with the greed dragon or greed fear, too, which I won't get into for lack of time today. Uh, but, uh, but that's, again, where, where a lot of this stems from in terms of the extreme. Now, for me, I don't have a – one of my primary fears is not self-destruction. Uh, it's very, very minor in, in my wiring. I didn't have severe abandonment issues during childhood or things like that, so it's unlikely for me to develop it. But like all human beings, we, we can have a little bit of it. And in 9-11, the time when I kind of went tilt heavy-handed that year, uh, late 9-11, was largely when I, um, you know, I went through an abandonment in a relationship. Uh, I... I you know, I didn't lose people during 9-11 that I know, but I am, even though I had been in Arizona for a number of years, I am a New Yorker originally. Uh, it was a devastating time emotionally and psychologically um, for a lot of people. Uh, I sure it spurred a lot more addiction. And I think that, again, emotionally and personally, um, I had gone through, I thought I had fallen, found the love of my life and who abandoned me. Someone, by the way, who had, some real addiction issues and problems I might have, and who actually ended up in jail. I found that out years later. That's a whole other story. By the way, that story is available in my first book, Dirty Little Secrets. <laughs> I might add, I wrote about that in, in some detail. So, uh, yeah, really uh, kind of tough, tough stuff that I eventually kind of went through, uh, and it triggered me into, you know, becoming more self-destructive. Again, which is not really my natural place to be. You know, I think that for me, I t it's more when I'm when I kind of get heavy-handed about things. It, I think it stems more from the fact that I'm I'm Taurus rising. 
And while my sun sign is in is in Sagittarius, my rising sign is Taurus. And you know anybody who's got Taurus uh, sun sign or moon sign or rising sign or strong Taurus in their chart knows what the positive and negatives of Taurus are. Positive is I have the ability to acquire whether that's things or values or you know uh, beauty or smarts or you know uh, what you have, what matters to you. The negative is I indulge. And so a lot of times for me, you know, sometimes I overdo things too just simply because I'm indulgent as it's delicious. You know, it's a joke I've often said that, you know, my sadness when I leave this world would be that I have to let go of, of, of cake, you know, <laughs> and coffee and casino trips and, you know, and sex and naps and, you know, I mean, the world is delicious, you know, in a way too, very Torian in tone. You know, or, or again, from astrological perspectives, often people with strong second house placements also will have those dispositions. So anyway, uh, but yeah, I, again, I have had t- my time where I, I've gotten heavy-handed with, with different forms of, of addiction, uh, just not, again, to the degree most people do. That's why I was kind of able to overcome those things without... Um, you know, necessarily getting specific therapy. I mean, I figured it out myself. That's what I do for a living. I, you know, I've I got to heal me. Uh, the only, I think one of the, I mean, I briefly went through a period in my early 30s where I had somewhat of a sexual addiction, but that was brief, and it had more to do with that. I was so repressed in that area in my 20s that when I got my confidence in my 30s, I just was sort of making up for a long time, and I had the power to do it. Uh but, uh, you know, and I, that, that came and went, too, and so to speak. And and I guess the other addiction issue that I had encountered was in a, a gambling addiction. In, in probably the mid to late 90s, a uh, few years into gambling, I got real heavy-handed about it. And, again, similar in, in, in context to, you know, what it's masking. And I was getting deeper and deeper into debt. I had a lot of credit card debt, and, you know, I think the gambling was – part of this delusion that I'd have a big win. The big win would be that would pay off all my debts. I think a lot of people get caught up in that when people buy lottery tickets and scratchers and, and gamble too much. I think that's a big part of where it comes from. So I did. I realized that there was no big win coming. Either I was going to get rid of gambling entirely and go cold turkey, or I was going to figure out why I was getting, you know, uh, having problems and, and getting too heavy-handed with it. And and I figured it out. It was, you know, the joke I say is you have to be 100 years old named Gladys to win the big jackpot. You know, I mean, when you're trying to win it, you're not going to win it. So when I gamble now, it's I have a certain bankroll that I play on. I expect to lose it. A lot of times I don't because I'm, again, pretty savvy when it comes to math. But um, there's no expectancy that a big win's going to get me out of debt or something like that. I'm smarter than that. Uh, you know, I overcame it and was still able to keep the issue. And that's the beautiful thing. The things that I indulged in, I didn't really have to get rid of them. As much as it was finding out what the cause was behind it, and again, remembering the magic quote of all things in moderation, which is, uh, you know, smart thing to remember, all things in moderation. So that's why I wrote this piece. I, I really, I think it's important for people to uh, to identify, you know, where you're getting heavy-handed and understand that, you know, listen, when, when you're addicted, it does it's a form of blocking of personal power. You know, I've only, often joked that I've run across, like, extreme alcoholics that 
they gave up drinking and, and entirely. And in some cases you have to do that when you when you can't control it. But like then they became born again Christians. And and then, you know, and that saved them. They found Jesus and listen, that can work for some people. I'm not necessarily putting it down. But I've also encountered a lot of people that sort of became fanatical religious uh, people or new age fanatics and at one level or another, and it's almost as heavy-handed in another way as they were when they were alcoholics. I mean, in that sense where, you know, in fact, in some ways they're almost more annoying in that in that respect. And a lot of people understand what I'm talking about when you're with extremely religious people or, you know, extreme new age people that are like fanatical, at one, you know, at one level or another. I, I saw a friend of mine on Facebook the other day was posting something about the evils and ills of milk and how bad it is. And I don't disagree. It's been pushed in a way, but to me, when you step back and look at things like ice cream and cheese and stuff, all right, you know, I'm not giving those things up. I get it. You know, uh, there's so much weirdness connected with that and, and negative crap at one level or another. But, you know, the beauty of cheese and things like that, listen, it stems from milk. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's always a line to walk in, in how far you go. But, again, the point I made in this piece that I think is important is, yeah, look at those lists, look at those things and, and, and why you're doing them. And, again, then remember, one, all things in moderation. And, and if, you're, if you're drinking too much because alcohol masks fear, then look at other ways of overcoming fear. You know, exercise, get in shape, uh, learn how to box, uh, Look at whether the things you're fearful of are real uh, in that respect. You know, make stronger connections to your spirit guides and your angels to protect you. Uh, you know, uh, there's ways to overcome fear that don't involve indulgence. And the same thing with sugar. If you're craving it all the time, you know, listen, you know, look, at, look inside. And are there issues with that from your childhood and from your past where you felt unlovable? Because, uh, listen, sugar's not going to make you more loved, make you feel that way briefly, and, and then it's going to do damage. Again, as I said, well, the other end of it, you know, to never have a chocolate bar, never have any type of thing with sugar in it, come on. You know, there's a line to walk with things, and, and you know, it's great to take advantage of the things in this world that are good, but, again, looking at it from where you're getting heavy-handed, you know, and, and, and listen, I, I say this to my listeners and my readers and my clients, you're smarter than you know. You know, a lot of the things that when people come in for sessions with me, whether in office or by phone, um, I, I give them insight, I give them guidance, I give them advice, the cards help, the astrology helps, the tools I use, but it's mostly that I have a way of talking to people in that sense to help them understand and tap into a lot of the messages they were getting themselves anyway, but they weren't listening to in that respect. We know this. Look look at almost anything that you went through that was difficult after the fact, later on, once you kind of healed it or moved forward. And in hindsight, you can often look back and say, isn't it funny how I was getting signals and clues and messages? I just didn't listen at one level or another. So that, that's my advice. Uh, you know, listen, people enjoy working with me. This is why I do this for a living. I love the work that I do. It's very fun. It's very cool. If you're interested in that, you know, again, check out my info on, on jimventura.com. And now uh, you can find out how to book and set up a session. Uh, and those can be done by phone. I can even FaceTime. Sometimes people like that, too. Otherwise, we just do it by phone if you're not in Phoenix. Uh, but the sessions are, are valuable at, at multiple levels. And I help you get in touch with your own wisdom. And you got it. It's in there. You know, just don't keep drowning it in 
in in chocolate bars and and daily some coffee and you know I mean as well too a little a little moderation in all things you know so anyway okay so again we'll finish up there for the day uh, thank you for joining me today if you're not already getting my monthly column uh, email me adventuresage at yahoo dot com uh, all that information and any that you're going to look for is going to be available on my website by the way adventureac dot com but if you want to get the monthly newsletter it's free. Uh, you're not going to get sales stuff from me. There's 12 columns a year and, and then one birthday promotion. If you do send me your, uh, you won't sign up for the column, always say mention your birthday uh, because I do a birthday promotion every year for a very discounted session if you're willing to take, wanting to take advantage of you can uh, during your birthday month. So anyway, um, all right, guys, so we'll finish up there for the day. I will try to book an astrology session uh, update uh, probably in August. Uh, that will be a good time for anybody if you want to try to call in for uh, an update or a mini read for a few minutes. Uh, that's when I do those. I Just for the record, I never do those during uh, column read shows. Uh, those are just during the astrology update shows. So we'll be back again next month with another column read, and I will uh, I'll put in a uh, astrology update show so some callers can get through during that particular time. So thanks for joining me today. So Jim Ventura, have an awesome, uh, what is today, Thursday? I had to think about that for a minute. And uh, we'll catch up with you all next time. Cheers.